0: You're listening to Past and Present, the Colonial Williamsburg Podcast. Hi, welcome to the podcast. I'm Harmony Hunter. King George III is remembered as the Mad King and the King Who Lost America. It was this English king who reigned over the American rebellion and subsequent loss of England's 13 American colonies. So was he crazy? Author Ed Cruz joins us today by phone to talk about the legendary madness of King George. Ed, thank you for being here with us today.
1: Well, thank you for having me, Harmony.
0: You wrote an article for the Colonial Williamsburg Journal that focused on the madness or the sickness, perhaps, of King George III. Uh, in your research, did you find that King George uh, started out with some signs of mental illness, or was this something that uh, that crept up on him?
1: I think what we have with King George III is basically a 200-year-old a medical mystery, one that we've only began to solve here actually in the last decade. People have wondered for an awfully long time what was wrong with him and, and then why did he act the way that he did. It's fascinated scholars, uh, historians, and physicians as well. And it, again, it's only now that we've begun to get some real insights as to what was going on with him. Basically, I think uh, the, the correct answer to your question about uh, George III and his sanity was this, that for the vast bulk of his life, George III, I believe, could be seen as a sane and stable individual.
0: When did his madness begin? How did, how did it begin to manifest itself?
1: George III had four incidents in his life that are, can be referred to as illness or were in his time referred to as madness. Um, these incidents occurred in 1788, 1801, 1804, and 1810. And with each of these, uh, the, the King demonstrated certain symptoms, and they included that there were, there were physical as well as, as mental uh, symptoms. The, the physical ones included uh, stomach pain, uh, cramps, rashes. He had trouble sleeping. His vision was blurred. He, um, he also lost weight. But in addition to these sort of physical manifestations of his condition, he suffered from uh, a mind that would be called erratic, delusional. Uh, at, at some points, he hallucinated and began to talk to people who had been long dead. So his symptoms were a mix of the physical as well as the mental. And they accompanied each of these four incidents that occurred later in his life.
0: You mentioned that before the onset of his madness, uh, he had a, a sane and stable life. What were some of his accomplishments as ruler of England uh, before his madness? What was his sort of career record before it all started going downhill?
1: Well, I think, I think the truth is that George III can't really be called a great monarch of England. Uh, certainly, he's not in the same uh, category with great influential rulers like Elizabeth I or Henry VIII. What George really was, for the vast bulk of his reign, which was fairly lengthy, uh, was a figurehead. Certainly, during this time, we have to remember that Great Britain had a constitutional monarchy, and that the government was run day to day by a large bureaucracy, that government policy was set by a prime minister and his cabinet, and of course that was done in conjunction with the House of Commons and the House of Lords, as much as it is today. Now, the king exerted soft power, and certainly he set a tone, and certainly in terms of the social life of Great Britain and the aristocracy, what he did was very important, but George really didn't... um, uh, launch any initiatives. He didn't really reshape England or Great Britain in any meaningful way. The time in which he lived was certainly a very exciting one. He presided over the American Revolution and the loss of the American colonies. He also, during his time, was uh, an age of great exploration and colonization, Cook's uh, exploration of the Pacific, the settling of Australia. And then beyond that, it was the start of the Industrial Revolution. But George really was more an observer of his age than a catalyst for change in his age.
0: When his uh, symptoms of his illness began, uh, was he aware that he was kind of losing his mental faculties?
1: Yes. Obviously, he knew he knew that he had the physical manifestations. There's no way he could have missed that. He was in great pain and deeply disturbed by it. He also was well aware that he was not in command of his mental faculties. Uh, on at least one occasion, we have reports of where he was with his son, the Prince of Wales, and was sobbing on his shoulder the king saying that I fear that I've gone mad, that I've lost my mind. And so it's not a case where the king passed into a period of delusion in which he was unaware of his surroundings or that he assumed another personality or something like that. He was well aware that something was wrong with him. He had no idea, and he, was, he, he had no idea why, and he didn't have much confidence in his physicians that they knew why either.
0: And rightly so, they really didn't.
1: No, they didn't. Uh, medicine, eighteenth-century medicine, even in the late eighteenth century, is is not very advanced, certainly by our standards of the The great gains that we have made in medicine uh, began to begin to occur about m- middle of the nineteenth century, and then accelerate to the twentieth century and, and into our own period. So, uh, they 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 really didn't understand. Uh, the body, they didn't understand uh, psychiatric conditions, so it, it they, they they really didn't do much, nor was their treatment particularly effective.
0: Now this illness that he had wasn't constant. He had periods where he seemed to recover?
1: Yes. Um, in uh, the three of the four incidents that he had, 1788, 1801, 1804, the King went through a period of illness and then through a period of recovery. In 1810, his condition was so severe that basically he slid into a long decline that would last roughly for a decade. He never did recover during that last period. But yes, in between, um, in 1788, uh, it began probably about the middle of the year, and then by early in 1789, he was on the mend, and uh, and yes, he returned to full functioning, he, uh, everybody was very relieved that the king was well. And so in, the end, in those periods in between, he, he manifested uh, every sign of stability and sanity that he had prior to his first
0: attack. We alluded to some of the medical care that he received at the time, which I guess we should forgive the past and, and uh, understand that they were doing the, the best they could by their lights. What were some of the treatments that he was offered uh, and and what were they expected to to cure?
1: Well, the the treatments that he received were pretty standard for the day and they were completely ineffectual. They reflect a lot of 18th century notions about the bodies and humors and balance and and the sort of thing that, of course, we, we don't think about today. Uh, and the King, I, I should and I'll, I'll list some of those in just a minute, but I should note that the King resisted a lot of them. They were painful, they were degrading, and he fought his physicians very hard. He was not an easy patient. Typical treatments included things like bleeding, blistering, purging, sedatives, uh, at times when his uh, erratic behavior got serious enough, they put him in a straitjacket. Uh, on some occasions, they tied him to a chair. Um, other uh, occasions, they tied him to a chair and gagged him. Uh, they gave him medicine, what they what they believed would restore him to sanity, but in fact, none of it was very effective. They were particularly interested in giving him something called uh, emetic tartar, and that's a, that's a purgative, and he got a lot of that, and he didn't like it and fought it every time they brought it in his room.
0: Can't blame him for that. No. <laughs> Uh, you've called this a um, an ancient medical mystery. Um, from a modern perspective, when medical historians look at this today, what are some of the theories about what was really happening to George uh, and whether these medicines would have helped him or harmed him?
1: There, The modern medicine has taken a look at King George's condition for decades now, and The question of what became of him and why what happened to him happened has been a matter of intrigue, particularly in the 20th century. In the early 20th century, with the rise of psychiatry, there was a belief that he, in fact, did suffer from a psychiatric condition. And uh, this, of course, had to do with the rise of Sigmund Freud, interesting in America about psychotherapy, and a very influential book was published in 1941 that decided the king suffered from what we would call uh, bipolar depression today, that in fact he did have a psychiatric problem in the 1960s, the late 1960s, there was a sea change in the analysis of what was wrong with him. And and people began, scientists, doctors, psychiatrists themselves began to look at his condition and said that what they actually believed was that he had a genetic disorder. And this is called uh, porphyria. And there began to be a, a growing body of, of belief that the king was not suffering from a psychiatric condition like bipolar depression or schizophrenia, but in fact had a physical malady of which the symptoms manifest themselves in some of this uh, delusional behavior. And uh, a huge breakthrough has come through in just uh, since uh, certainly in the last six years or so. Um, it turns out that uh, the, um, uh, some strands of his hair were clipped from his head when he died, and there was a hope that there could be some DNA analysis done of those. As it turned out, it couldn't. But what they did find were extraordinarily high concentrations of arsenic, uh, and arsenic is a trigger for uh, por- porphyrium. And um, what the doctors now theorize is that the very medicine that the 18th century physicians gave him aggravated this this condition and made him even more ill. And I should say just real quick to describe this condition, it's important to remember that even today, sufferers from this condition are often interpreted as having psychiatric problems instead of, in fact, having a genetic disorder. And in short, that disorder has to do with the uh, formation of hema, which is a component of red, red blood cells, and if this, if your body can't correctly make these conversions, then what can happen is you get the very symptoms that the king was described as having, uh, muscle pains, abdominal pains, confusions, hallucinations, disorientation, and even paranoia, so... While physicians today cannot say categorically this is what the king had, the evidence really is, is pretty compelling, and, and I, I, as far as I'm concerned, I think the case has been made that, in fact, he had this genetic disorder, not, in fact, a psychiatric condition.
0: So we, when we look back on the legacy of King George III, uh, instead of concluding that he was mad, we might conclude that he was poisoned by his own doctors, although inadvertently.
1: Uh, yes, yes, exactly. The, he, now, he had this condition and it existed, and it was in their treatment of him, in the giving him of this medicine that actually contained arsenic, which that alone should give you some pause about 18th century medicine, that the doctors were doing the very worst thing for him, unknowingly. Uh, they they had no idea, but I, it's hard for me to see how what they had done could not be any worse And in many ways, it it makes for an uncomfortable thought that the last 10 years of his life, which were spent in isolation, delusion, blindness, and illness, were due to the ministrations of his physicians.
0: Ed, it's a fascinating and somewhat tragic story. Thank you for sharing it with us today. If you'd like to read Ed's article about the poisoning of King George III, visit history.org foundation journal to read Ed's article and lots of other articles from um, journal contributors. Ed, thank you for being our guest today.
1: We're certainly welcome. Thanks for having me.
0: We're always glad to hear from you. Send comments or suggestions from our webpage at podcast.history.org or find us on Facebook. To support the podcast and other Colonial Williamsburg programs, visit history.org/donate.